All righty. Uh, Liliana Reyes is going to be speaking next Sunday. It's going to be really good. I've, I've had pretty good luck with our guest speakers, I think, so far. So um, I had lunch with Liliana, who's the uh, executive director of Affirmations in Ferndale uh, a couple of months ago, and it's like, oh, I can see why, why Tim uh, Kowaleski, who uh, heard her speak at uh, Consumers Power, um, wanted me to connect with Liliana, so it's going to be great. She's be talking about the power of faith and acceptance in transition. So we're um, we're getting near the end of our series on the 12 steps. We're on actually 12 step today, so the 12th step today. So um, this is a book you want to have in your library, if at all possible, um, in close proximity to the Bible, I think, 12 Steps and 12 Traditions by Bill W., one of the co-founders of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous back in 1935, 36, 37. It might have been written around that time, maybe the early 50s. Let me just rehearse the 12 steps so we have a sense of the context. And I don't know what all this talk about hot church is all about. Like, I I feel like I need a sweater. I'm a little bit chilly. Um, So, and you think about our our forefathers and our foremothers, you know, going to hot, sweaty buildings, you know, 90 degrees with the suit and tie and all that. And, you know, I I heard the air conditioning was was out yesterday and I'm like, oh, maybe we need to cancel church, you know. And I thought, what's what's become of this generation, you know? (laughs) So step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of our spouse. No, of ourselves, sorry. Step five, admitted to God, to others, ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Step seven, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Step eight, made a list of all persons we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Step nine, made to recommend to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Step ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Step eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step twelve, today's topic. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So this is the step of recovery. The final step of recovery is to be willing to give away whatever it is that we have received to others. And that's had a profound influence on the culture of alcoholics Anonymous, but let's let's take a look at the wording here. What is a spiritual awakening, anyway? What, what's what's he referring to with this use of the term spiritual awakening, which we band, bandy about so um, glibly? Bill W. says um, in in uh, his uh, chapter on the twelfth step here, when a person has a spiritual awakening, the most important meaning of it is that that person has now become able to do, able to feel, and able to believe 
that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. This is a perception shift that allows the person to live differently. The term spiritual awakening implies that we can be spiritually asleep. That, that meaning we're unaware, we're unconscious, we have a blind spot. And we don't know what it is that we don't know. For, you know, for many years I was blind to the experience of LGBT people. Um, you know, given the stakes for a pastor uh, and the anxiety in church and society over sexuality and gender, it took something that I would now describe after the fact as a spiritual awakening to see what had always been before me and was rather obvious. One of, one of the indications that you've un undergone a spiritual awakening is you can't believe you didn't see it earlier. Like, I, I, I feel like I don't even know that person who didn't see what I see now. How did I miss it? Well, you were asleep. You were unaware. You were unconscious. Um, and, you know, I think when societies go through different cultural moments which um, converge to open up opportunities for spiritual awakenings. I mean, in, you know, the 60s was one of those convergence times. You know, the Vietnam War, the Cold War, the growing awareness of the ecological crisis. And in the early 70s, there was like a, wow, there's something really going on here. And, and people were digging deeper. I, I feel like we're, we're set up for a similar situation today. You know, you with white supremacy gaining ground on the White House in the halls of Congress, in state capitals. Uh, what people of color have known forever is becoming more obvious to more of us. The Me Too movement, you see the same thing going on where it's helping people come to grips with what women have been experiencing quietly uh, all these years about sexual harassment. So this is like a cultural moment that is stimulating the possibility of more spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening is a phenomenon. It happens all the time and God is behind it. So on a very personal level, you know, you have a friend who is always really down on themselves. And, and, you, and you're like, man, what? I know you and if I were you, I wouldn't be feeling the way you feel about yourself. And it's just like, it's just, it's just a blind spot for them. And I don't know, they go through a mental health crisis, they get some help, and then they begin to realize that really they've been seeing the world through very distorted lenses and it's like wow yeah it's it's an awakening and it's good um, have you ever been asleep in the bad dream when part of your brain becomes aware that you're in a bad dream and it's time to wake up from the bad dream and sometimes really fascinating things happen in dreams at that stage where you kind of incorporate things that are trying to, it's yourself trying to wake yourself up. You might, you know, suddenly in the dream someone is calling for you or you're trying to get out of a situation and, and you're, there's part of you that says this is a bad dream and you try to wake up. What's, what's, what happens next is that you're in that weird um, 
slow motion wake up mode. You're in this struggle, like uh, my laptop is in that sometimes, you know, it goes, it, it's, it's asleep, and then I open up and it doesn't wake up, and I open it again, and I push the button, I push the button, wake up, you know, it's like, come on, it's in slow motion wake up mode. It feels when you're in that dream at that stage, like you're just wading through molasses until you wake up. That's what the beginning of a spiritual awakening can feel like. And it's a, it's a distressful, it's, there's always some kind of pain that's underneath it that's getting our attention. Having had a spiritual awakening, those steps says, as a result of these steps, it's very significant because Bill W., the author of the 12 steps, actually had like a flash of light experience that launched, launched him on the road to recovery, but there's nothing about the flash of light experience or its necessity in the 12 steps because for Bill W. it was the actual steps on the road that produced the actual spiritual awakening. So this is a really key phrase, as a result of these steps. This is the model of spiritual awakening in the Gospels, actually. Um, the disciples in the, in the Gospels, I don't think a single disciple in any of the four Gospels has a classic flash of light experience. Saul of Tarsus, who's responsible for about a third of the New Testament, has the, you know, the Damascus Road, but that uh, stands out in the New Testament because it's the exception not the rule, but the disciples in the, in the Gospels, what's, what's going on? They find themselves drawn to this rabbi for words, reasons they may or may not be able to put into words, and they follow him. They, they follow him. They're taking steps with him, and over time they are changed as a result of these steps, as a result of these steps. So when you're having that, you know, Wake me up from this bad dream feeling. You know, the, the, the pain of our struggle maybe with anxiety or depression. You know, the beginning of that is always like, oh, I think, I'm, I, think I might be depressed. It's like, oh, I think I might be depressed and have been for the last seven years <laughs> or the last six months. Or, oh, you mean this anxiety that I'm feeling? is not normal. Everyone doesn't feel this. And when, you know, like three times an hour, I'm, I'm going down the calamity trains and I'm driving down the freeway and uh, a thought pops into my mind and then pretty soon I've, I've got cancer and, and um, you know, it's, it's a horrible death and, you know, uh, and that's not normal. Like what I'm experiencing doesn't have to be the way things are. That's the beginning of that waking up from the bad dream experience, or you become aware of, um, as, as hopefully more and more of us are, of like some glaring injustices around us, and it's starting to sink in. So the question is always like, at that stage, what's the next move? You know, like, if you're in that position, you want to start laser focusing on, well, taking some next steps. What are the next steps? So let's use the example of you realize, man, I'm, I've been just swirling in anxiety for a long time and it, maybe it doesn't have to be this way and it's taking over your experience of life. 
steps? What would be some steps? Well, I need to talk to somebody about this. You know, really need to externalize this. I need to not just be handling it inside my anxious head, but I need to get this out and I need to start talking to someone. And not just one time, but probably over and over. I need, in order for me to focus on what I need, I need to start talking to somebody. I need to learn about like how does anxiety actually work and what are its symptoms and what, what's going on in my thought life that is actually anxiety and not just a normal way of thinking or maybe uh, I need to like ramp up my exercise again I haven't been doing much exercise or you know I, I need to treat the sleep apnea that I've been you know not wanting to go get the sleep study so when you're in that stage it's like okay what are the next steps you want to laser focus on the next steps you know we all go through life we're focused on what we're trying to do to get by and the tasks at hand until we hit that wall and then when we hit the wall we have to like attend to all those things that we've been neglecting while we're dealing with life and the awakening happens is what the wisdom of the 12 steps is telling us the awakening happens as we focus on the steps and we start working them when you hit the wall look for the path around the wall. So the great lie when we're struggling in this state is people don't want to be bothered with my struggles. I mean people really, do, people have troubles enough of their own. They don't want to be bothered with my struggles and mostly that's true. You know, mostly, you know, people don't want to be bothered. Most of us are just self-absorbed units, right? And we're, we're concerned about ourselves, we're driving, we're thinking, we're in a crowd, and we're all about ourselves. And so it really is true. But those who have struggled with the same thing that you have, and especially if they've um, found a way through it, they found the path around the wall that they hit, they're usually actually quite happy to offer a listening ear or offer like some suggestions for things that they found helpful because just intuitively you know that when you help someone with something you've struggled with you reinforce the important lessons that you yourself are learning and you're more likely to keep going on that path it really is true that helping you is helping me this is part of my recovery to help others deal with it and so that's what you want to tap into when you've got that lie swirling on in your head it's like people don't want to be bothered with my struggles well yeah people in general but there will be people out there who will just be honored will just be honored to be able to listen to you and it will be helpful to them for you to do that you'll be doing them a favor they won't be doing you a favor that's the that's the counterintuitive genius of the 12 steps here. And it reflects the wisdom of the New Testament, 2 Corinthians. This is Paul speaking, Praise be to the God of all comfort, who comforts us. And the word comfort is like comfort in the consoling sense, but also like fortify. Praise be to the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our various troubles. And the hour there is like our the community. So it's not like we get comfort in all our troubles immediately from God. But all the, the, the troubles of humankind 
God is comforting all the time. And so he's the God of all comfort so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So there's this, there's this, you know, it's a channeling process. The comfort is coming our way, often through other people who've experienced the comfort, or it's just, it's just a, a swirling process. And when we're in that process of, oh, we're getting some help, naturally we just want to, can, can, can I be of help to someone else who's going through the same thing? This is the process we're dealing with. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. So, AA is a fellowship that has discovered a deep truth that we only get to keep what we're willing to give away. You know, if it's, if it's what we have is of actual value, we only get to keep it to the extent that we're willing to share it and give it away. Um, you know, when one alcoholic helps another, the helper understands that the helping you is helping me. Uh, the, and this, this, is, this is genius because it removes that weird power imbalance between the helper and the helped. You know, like in, in governmental agency processes of helping, helping agencies, there's always this weird power imbalance, isn't there, between the person on the other side of the desk who has the power to help you and you, the supplicant. You know, in, and I think it was 1971 when, when I was a student, I, I lost my job and uh, I applied for food stamps. What an experience that was of like, oh, may I please have some food stamps and may, may I convince you that I'm doing everything I can to work and to have a job and that I'm not a moral misfit and you know the whole process was designed to reinforce the power of the people who had the resource and the, the supplicant experience of the people who needed the resources so there's a real power imbalance in the process of helping and step 12 is naming a truth that just undermines that whole power imbalance because the helper is doing the helping to help themselves. And the helper is doing a favor to himself by helping you. And that's, that actually is the reality, but it's named in the 12 steps and it's honored in the 12 steps and it's celebrated in this 12th step. And so that changes the whole posture. Um, from the, this is from the big book of AA. So there's two resources. There's a smaller one. Then there's this thicker, big blue book. Both of them you want to own, whether you're an alcoholic or not. Um, this is from, I think it's chapter 7, but it's on this issue. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for inspections. Show them how they worked for you. Offer them friendship and fellowship. Friendship and fellowship. Tell them if he wants to get well, you'll do anything to help. And, and this, is, this is just like the kingdom of God that is operating in 12-step recovery communities. Is that you can find people like this who are like, oh, anything I can do. I want to be there to help. Um, 
the most helpful, the most effective help we can give other people comes of, out of our weakness, not out of our strength, which flips our understanding of weakness, right? Um, and it takes the shame out of our weakness because the weakness is the channel through which we can get help from others, from God, and through which we can be helpful to others. I mean, this is like a, this is a more human, better understanding of the way the world, I know when my uh, late wife Nancy died, suddenly I wanted to talk to Paul, you know, because he had been through it. He had, he had lost his spouse. And, and, he, and when, I, when I let that be known, like, he was happy to talk to me. And, and it was comforting. It was helpful. His weakness was strength for me. So, um, the other posture, you know, I possess the key. I have the resources. Let me bend down to hand you. That's the hallmark of superiority religion, you know, that has nothing to do with the gospel, yeah, which is good news for the hearer. Whatever it is we have to share with others, we share out of our pain where the good news is actually good to us. And sometimes we're not even sharing like solutions. Sometimes there aren't solutions. Um, sometimes it's not about sharing, as uh, Bill W. says, the spiritual tools for inspection. Sometimes it's just that other thing that he mentions, the offer of friendship and especially an even more significant word, I think, is the word fellowship. Um, the term fellow means um, we share something in common. You know, we're like, a, we're, we're fellow Detroit Tigers fans. I, I always like to meet fellow Detroiters. Like we have something in common. That's what it means to be a fellow. And sometimes there aren't solutions. There are just, there's just fellowship. You know, like, um, I, I realized this about a, a year back. I realized the loneliest day of the week for me is Sunday. And the loneliest place for me is at church. And I'm like, what is up with that? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm known here by practically everyone. As soon as I come, I'm, I'm talking, I'm gabbing, I'm connecting with people. I feel supported. I feel loved. And yet, of the seven days of the week, Sunday morning is the day I feel loneliest. What the heck is that about? And then I'm like, oh, right. Well, I, I spent my whole life of going to church. I mean, the church started in my living room with my family. And so I was always, I always had a family member with me at church until, you know, uh, 2012. And then I'm coming to church by myself. And, and it was like a reminder of like an acute loneliness. I thought, oh, that is something. This, this has got to be, just got to be tons of people who have that experience, you know. You go through a divorce, you know, and you're, you're used to going to church with your spouse and then you're at church by yourself. And that's the reminder in your week, like, oh, I'm alone in a way that I wasn't before. Or it's certainly been true of people who've lost a spouse. And as I was able to name that in myself, and, and then I, I was just open, I was more alert to it 
and noticing that other people were in the same position and that it was super helpful to me to like initiate fellowship over that shared experience just by naming it to the other person and half the time I would name it. You see, you know the funny thing I discovered is that I, I, I feel the loneliest at church to someone who is in the same position and you know, they'd be like, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm seeing nodding heads here and it's like a, it's a connection and well, guess what? That fellowship is a, is a little it's a little lightening of that burden of loneliness. So I, I don't feel it as acutely since I've been having fellowship around that um, shared experience. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. It just, what it says and what it doesn't say. Um, our task is not to fix anyone. Um, our task is not even to try to fix anyone. And for all of you in the helping professions, you know, or gaining mastery in order to fix people, this is super important. Our task is not to fix anyone in the 12 steps. Our task is not even to try to fix anyone. The effort is simply to carry this message wherever we go. And we carry the message by doing the practices, right? By doing the thing, by receiving whatever we can through the steps, we're carrying the steps with us. And then if we meet someone who is in that place of waking up from trying to wake themselves up from the bad dream, well then, oh, we're alert and we're ready and we realize, oh, this is my chance to continue my recovery by being available to this person whatever they need. And it's not about fixing anyone, it's about fellowship, shared experience, which is really what, I mean, this is what the Trinitarian God is about, ultimately, is about the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the love between the Father and the Son manifesting the Spirit. It's all about the power of connectedness and fellowship as like the source of everything that we call life um, in the world. So enough uh, of that. Um, didn't want to add to too much hot air in the, in the less than cool room by going on too long today. So um, two weeks from now after Liliana next Sunday, I think we'll have a final session and uh, talk about the um, what is it about the culture of AA that is something we can learn for the culture that we're all creating together in the church and for the culture in our families or in our friendship groups or wherever we, we have our connections with other people? What, what's the genius in the culture of AA that we can all learn from and name and bless and uh, enhance um, in our own communities? All right. Um, we're going to have our offering and uh, 